Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is episode nine for Sunday, August 5th, 2012. I'm Noah Freed. I'm Rosie Morris. I'm Caleb Graves. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you guys for sticking with us through those technical difficulties. All right, Caleb, you want to jump into the comments from last week on Chapter 17? Yeah, so we're going to just dive into some of the comments. We got a lot of great comments from you guys on our site and forum. So this is by no means all of them, but just some that we noticed um, as we hit the last chapter of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. So the first comment comes from the forums from Allie Wood talking about um, the mayor of Erised and and, um, showing horcruxes. And Allie says, I don't think Harry would have seen where the horcruxes are. After all, what he sees in the mirror is himself. He smiles and then reaches into his pocket, pulls out the stone, puts it back, and the stone is in real Harry's pocket. He didn't see himself finding the stone in any specific place. It just appears with him. So Harry might have seen the horcruxes themselves, but they couldn't just appear in his pocket. So he wouldn't be able to find them. I think the mirror really only shows people, not places, as well. I mean, I think that makes sense. As we know, Dumbledore put on the special spell such that if, if somebody looks in, you know, I assume Harry, and they don't want the stone for themselves, but they want to find it, they, it would drop into their pocket. I, I mean, there's no reason why Dumbledore would think anybody else but Harry would do it, but it is just because of that spell. He wouldn't be able to see the Horcruxes, right, if he looked in the mirror many years later. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And, yeah, I, I just I, I think that that goes kind of beyond the scope of what, um, the mirror would be able to do, which kind of transitions into another comment that we got on the forums on that same note. Um, this is from Zio Regredians, and the comment says, what if the enchantment that Dumbledore placed on the mirror of Erised enabled the mirror to focus directly on a person's desires in regards to the stone? That would explain why Harry's deep desires for family were pushed away in favor of displaying such a specific image for Harry and also for Quirrell. I've also always wondered how Harry's desire to find the stone would be more powerful than his desire to stop Voldemort in that moment, when it didn't seem to work that way for Quirrell. Quirrell wanted to find the stone and give it to Voldemort. Harry wanted to find the stone to keep it from Voldemort. 
In both cases, I think finding the stone would be the secondary desire. But if the mirror can focus directly on a person's intent and desires in relation to the stone, then it would be able to make a person who doesn't want to use the stone and then trigger magic to make the stone, materi- make the stone materialize. Well, I don't know if uh, the mirror could have done that by itself. It was certainly Dumbledore's spell. But yeah, he, he probably couldn't have seen the Horcruxes. Maybe he could see himself and himself powerful and Voldemort done and the Horcrux is destroyed in maybe a more abstract form. But yeah, definitely, he, he wouldn't be, have been able to see any specific locations of those Horcruxes because I, because obviously the mirror doesn't know that. Yeah, and if there's anyone who can kind of cast a spell on that uh, mirror and make it that specific for um, kind of looking for desires related to an object, it's definitely going to be D- Dumbledore that can do it, right? It's wizard of his age, at least. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, he, may, he makes a comment even about, um, you know, Coming about him, how proud he is of the the mirror and what he's able to do with it. So I definitely wouldn't put it past him to be able to modify it for something specific like this. I still find it interesting to consider if the if the mirror I brought up in the last episode has some form of like knowledge or some sort of brain in itself. So maybe Dumbledore manipulated that brain a little bit, or maybe it's just an object that doesn't have any sort of consciousness. But if it did. I think that would be pretty cool. You could kind of talk to it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, our next comment comes um, regarding the death of Professor Quirrell, and this comes from the forums from Padfoot seven one one. And the comment says, "One quick thought I had: Did Harry technically kill Quirrell, or was his death just a sum of events? Harry is always portrayed as innocent, someone who won't take a life, but in a way, he just killed someone." Yeah, I think he pretty much incinerated him. <laughs> <laughs> Quite honestly, yeah. you know, kind of like the Voldafetti in the last movie. A terrible death. Harry yeah. murdered Quirrell in cold blood. Actually, in hot blood. His hot magical blood killed Quirrell. Sizzle like a frying pan. I, I just, it seems terrible. I mean, no one seemed to care. It was just happy feast time after this. And Quirrell's dead. You know, it was underplayed, I thought. We don't know how much time has passed between them, at least. But yeah, it's a bit underplayed. I mean, we know he, he was, he wasn't necessarily a good dude. We know he went out seeking Voldemort thanks to the information from Pottermore. But a little bit too harsh. Gets burned alive and nobody cares. Let's let's look at the next comment because I think it's yeah, speaks that's to... the yeah the next comment kind of um, spent, uh, addresses that and this comes um, from Cassandra fourteen forty seven and it says I think Quirrell's death was minimized because and philosopher St- uh, because philosopher stone was intended for children. Think of the average Disney villain death. They die, oftentimes by falling off a cliff or some such, and that's that. Rowling avoided dealing with the immediate aftermath and reactions surrounding Quirrell's death by having Harry unconscious for days. Yeah, I mean, I, I accept that. Yeah, in the chat, people seem to be agreeing with that. It was book one, essentially a children's book. It was underplayed because it was a children's book. Glad to know you, you th- guys agree. <laughs> yeah. Do you think Harry had issues in later years considering the fact that he murdered a man? I don't think he does. Well, he never, it definitely never comes up in the books, but you would almost think it would. But maybe it's just because he's so always in the zone having to like save or make sure he, you know, he doesn't die and save the world that he doesn't have time to think about it. Well, I mean, and if it, if it had bothered him, he would have seen the Festral sooner. Yeah. So obviously it didn't bother him at all. Well, I think we know from a quote that he didn't see the Thestral because he was unconscious technically when Quirrell died. Yeah, when he died. But does it really count as Harry murdering him? I mean, sure, he 
he kind of almost accidentally burnt him to death. But I mean, it, it was manslaughter at least. I don't think it was like in, with the intention to kill him. There's a difference, even if it's a very dubious one. There's that line where Harry, by instinct, grabbed Quirrell's face. I mean, he knew what his, what his connection was doing. Obviously, if he hadn't, he would have himself been dead. But let's take him to trial. Would you find Harry guilty of murder? Absolutely not. I would say a plea of self-defense. Self-defense, clearly. All right. Everyone in the chat is saying no, so they agree. That's good. Very well. I am grossly <laughs> outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And our last comment um, comes on the topic of ha- when Harry wakes up and seeing Dumbledore. And I thought this was pretty, uh, pretty clever insight from Lumos Night 3 on the forums that says, when Harry first wakes up, Harry mistakes Dumbledore's glasses for the golden snitch. I think the correlation between these two is awesome because both are enigmatic and elusive. And in the scene that follows, Harry is chasing after answers, many of which Dumbledore won't answer. It's just like any Quidditch game where Harry has to go after the snitch, and sometimes the catch doesn't always come right away. He has to wait patiently at times. It's also a nice image here when you consider that the snitch is Dumbledore's final great mystery that Harry unravels in Book 7, when he opens the snitch and finds the hollow hidden within, right before facing his death. That's pretty cool. Thanks, Lumos Knight. Yeah, I thought I thought that was a really uh, cool metaphor um, and connection that was made because they're definitely both rather elusive. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I feel like pretty much what Lumos Knight said is good. He's always he's always chasing something. Yeah, and then that transforms into Dumbledore's glasses, glasses and Snitch. Hmm. It's because they're both gold. I think it's quite a nice sort of. Um, link between the the value of his quest for a snitch and the value of his quest for whatever it is that Dumbledore can give him. They're both very valuable items, even if it yeah. is only a pair of glasses. I feel like there are lots of images and things in the series that are just linked, that Joe just links, like Quidditch, like Quidditch the snitch, and Dumbledore are often linked. And we know that he's going to later manipulate a snitch to open for Harry. So... I'd be interested to see if anyone could make Dumbledore Quidditch references throughout the entire series, or Dumbledore Snitch references. We should Mm. keep track of this. Yeah. And uh, I believe that about wraps up our listener comments. Yeah, thanks for those. They were really good. Hey, guys, we got uh, Allie Wood on the line. Let's talk to her and see what she has to say. Yes, Allie Wood. Awesome. Hi, guys. Hey, 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 Allie, Allie. how are you? Hi. Hi. So what's your comment? Um... But I just noticed something about the movie while I was watching. Uh, but I, I noticed that in the book, too, they mentioned that McGonagall wears green a lot, like emerald green. And I know on Pottermore, uh, she told us that green and purple are really like universal wizarding colors. But why at Hogwarts would McGonagall be wearing Slytherin colors? I just always thought it was kind of weird because she's kind of like anti-Slytherin, you know? So I don't know. What do you guys think? <laughs> oh, that's good. Huh. I'd never, I never noticed that before. That. Yeah. Hmm. So I guess the the only reason maybe she is wearing it is because of that green and purple um, aspect of wizarding attire. Because, but you know, maybe that's not enough to sort of the Slytherin um, animosity and rivalry is not enough to trump that. I guess. I mean, I know purple's considered a royal color. Is is green? Does that have any, you know, sentimentality to it? I guess or it is um, if you're a Lannister. <laughs> okay. I thought Lannisters were red. Are they? Oh, I man. think they're red. <laughs> yeah, you just angered a lot of Game of Thrones fans. 
However, green it, is like emeralds, and emeralds are precious stones, so it does work with the kind yeah. of the royal purple. Maybe she looks good in green. <laughs> Maybe. Well, good comment, Allie. Thanks for the call. Thanks for all your hard work for us. Oh, thanks for letting me be a part. Sure. Of course. Bye, no hon. Adios. Allie Wood. She's great. All right, what's up next, guys? We're going to discuss the book cover conversation. Now, that was cool. We, we covered, what did we do? We did the American covers, UK. Um, the Ukraine, I remember that one. Ukraine, yeah. Spanish covers. Was there, was there German? I don't believe so. Italian, French. We did the Italian. Nobody can yeah. make sense of the, the mice. But we have a cover. comment that tries to explain it, so we'll get to that. So our first comment is from Cassandra1447. About the covers, I like the UK adult version best from an aesthetic point of view. However, my memories of the original US jacket will always ensure I retain a special fondness for it above any other. Well, thanks for that. I mean, <laughs> the US cover is certainly my favorite. Yeah, I can definitely identify with that. You know, the first the first book I had. So that, that cover is definitely pretty close to my heart also. Rosie, you love the UK adult versions, right? The thing about those which make them stand out is that they're kind of photographs, right? Um, yeah, the adult um, adult covers are great because they are just kind of really beautiful images from um, from the books, different objects that are very important to the plot of that book. But to me, it's always going to be the, the original UK children's cover. Um, just that picture of Harry in front of the train at the very beginning is just, it's perfect for me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of epic and well-known as much as the US cover is. But yeah. uh, the UK adult versions being photographs is very unique to those. Definitely. I would imagine. Our next comment from Ancient ancient and Most Noble. That's, that's very nice. I wanted to try and explain the mystery of the Italian cover of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. At first, I was just as puzzled as everyone else. But then I remembered the scene that describes Harry's first Christmas supper at Hogwarts. J.K. Rowling states that the wizard Christmas crackers once pulled contained many different prizes, some of which included a brand new chessboard that Harry needed to play against Ron, and several live white mice received by Harry Potter in 1991, all of which disappeared. Harry assumed that they were later eaten by Mrs. Norris. Wow. I want to talk about that later. Both the chessboard and the mice are present in the Italian cover, and the fact that Harry is wearing a wizard hat shaped like a mouse also seems to indicate that this is a drawing that illustrates the scene of Christmas at Hogwarts, because among other presents from the crackers were wizard's hats. Oh. Thank you for solving the Italian mystery. Let's talk about these mice for a second. Were these mice created? Oh, my God. Oh, God. Noah, don't go there. <laughs> they were not ever a desk or bacon or anything beforehand. Can you eat the mice? I think they're like, um, I guess they're like chocolate frogs. I always imagine them like, um, we, in Engl England at least, we have these um, white mice uh, chocolates that you get, particularly around Christmas. Um, but if they are live white mice, then I guess they are just animals that could be presents. No desk pig. <laughs> no, no, I won't, I won't necessarily get into that just yet, but... <laughs> Good. Every, every, but everyone in the chat says, no desk pig. They're done. <laughs> no more. <laughs> I find it interesting, though, that Italians did pick that this scene. I mean, what, what kind of symbolic impact do mice have in the series? In terms of Harry's larger story? I mean, they don't. Yeah, there's not much. So maybe just kind of arbitrary. No, they're not desk mice, Alice Tardis. Silly. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, let's see. Another comment from Lumos Knight. 
I noticed while looking at my U.S. paperback edition of Sorcerer's Stone that in the very distant background there are clouds. But some of the clouds at the bottom don't actually look like clouds. To me, they look like two Quidditch players and a bludger flying around, which would explain why Harry is flying towards the snitch in the foreground instead of the remember-all. Oh, okay. That, that makes a great deal of sense. Yes, yeah. it does. Because <laughs> I originally just thought that they made it the snitch because it's more iconic. Mary Grand Prix made it the snitch. Right. But uh, thanks for that. That puts that in a bit more perspective. So um, we're going to talk about the posed question of the week from last week. Um, so I'll read that out to start with. As you heard, there was some contention between Noah and my own theory um, about what would have happened to Harry if Quirrell had successfully shot an Avada Kedavra curse at him. Um, our question to you this week was simple. Just what would have happened to Harry? Would we ha- would he have been spared by Lily's love magic once again, or would that have been the end of a much shorter series? <laughs> so, yeah, these I, comments... I, yeah, I'd like to weigh in on this, actually, because I wasn't there last week. Oh, perfect. Um, but I guess I think a lot of the comments we've been getting are that Harry would probably have just died. But um, I guess what I thought about when I listened to you guys talk about it is that in the end, when... You know, Voldemort, Avada Kedavra, Harry, and he went to that, the white world or whatever. He had to choose to go there. So at this point in Harry's life, I don't think he would have chosen to die. So I don't think that uh, the love magic would have saved him. I think he would have died. Hmm. Oh, no. Interesting. (laughs) Also, what I had been saying was the fact that the blood wasn't in Voldemort's body yet. Therefore, he wouldn't have been tethered to Earth. Right. Exactly. However... There is the fact that Quirrell can't touch Harry, so because the magic burns him right back if he gets touched. So I would assume that any spells might also be rebounded by Quirrell slash Voldemort. So maybe the maybe it just would have rebounded again, and he would have had another scar, a super scar. Well, you're jumping ahead of yourself. Someone has that as a comment. Oh, geez, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So okay, let's so let's get to the comments. users' comments. <laughs> okay, Killy two thousand eleven says. Um, from the main site, I think Harry would have been saved. But this question did make me think. When Harry was hit by the killing curse, it's Dumbledore that he talks to. Dumbledore makes it very clear that it is Harry's choice to stay or to get on the train. If he would have been hit by the curse, who would have been there at this point? I would assume that the person has to be dead to have talked to Harry, but at this point in the book, there is no one that Harry trusts who is dead. So I think the magic would have worked, but in a different way. That's quite an interesting thought. Mm Mm-hmm. And some people um, on the forum or on the main site um, spinning off this suggested maybe he would see his parents because, you know, um, they're obviously dead. But I don't know if he had built that. He obviously didn't get to build a relationship with them like he, you know, does with Dumbledore. So it's kind of questionable. Mm. Yeah, people in the chat are saying parents as well. So perhaps. But even if like even if they had been able to talk to them at that point, would he have maybe gone with them because he wanted oh, to know his parents so. more yeah i think he would have definitely gone with his parents i don't think he he understood his um you know his role in prophecy obviously enough and you know i i i, I see him going with his parents which would have been a very very different series yeah <laughs> because there wouldn't have been any, any more books I, I think the next comment is about the love protection i'd love to talk about what the manifestation of that really is sure go ahead so, another comment from Aragog141. I personally think Lily's protection would have worked once again, but for a slightly different reason. 
Voldemort was controlling Quirrell. So if Quirrell had managed an Avada Kedavra, it would have essentially been Voldemort's cast, not Quirrell's. Granted, with Quirrell's wand, but still I believe that had that occurred, Lily's protection would have worked for Harry and the, the AK would have sought its twin. AK? Avada Kedavra? Oh. Come on. <laughs> Thus the unintentional Horcrux would have been destroyed way too early. Wasn't there a comment that it, Quirrell might not have had a wand in his hand? Yeah, because there it says Quirrell raised his hand, but I always assumed it just meant the wand was in his hand that he then raised, so I don't know if that's a kind of an important detail. Or, or maybe Joe at first, like someone said, oh, she was kind of in the formulative stages of writing. She didn't know that there was a, everyone was going to have wands. You could also do it without a wand. But Cassandra 1447 says that Quirrell's wand gets knocked away by Harry. Are we sure, though? I don't remember see- I don't remember reading that. Uh, I think that's right. I rem- Thank you, serious nerd. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, one less magic would have been interesting. Like, it must be really powerful to have an AK with one less magic. Do you think that the love protection is actually, like, Lily, a piece of her embodied in Harry, kind of like a horcrux? Because we know, like, everyone stays with you once they die. They stay in your heart. But do we think this is actual, a physical manifestation? Kind of like a piece of soul inside you? Um, or is it completely on the outside? No, I think because it was unintentional. Oh, well, I don't know. Voldemort's was unintentional, too. I don't know. I mean, I never thought about that. It's definitely in the blood, but it's not part of his soul. I don't, hard to say. It, it, I think it's kind of similar to Horcrux magic. I need to, I'm going to write something about it very soon. But Ustreamer522053 says, like an anti-Horcrux. An anti-Crux. Anti-Crux. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everyone's agreeing that it's in the blood rather than in the soul, but yeah, it's an interesting idea. What's the difference between the, uh, it's like physical and spiritual? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. But still, it's kind of a similar thing. Lily's presence is inside Harry just as much as Voldemort's, maybe in a different way. And Harry is like this meeting ground of Lily and Voldemort. Well, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, I'll talk about that later. Um... Rosie, next comment. Yeah, the next one is from Zero Ingredients again. And it says, I don't think that Harry would have gone to King's Cross scene had he been hit with the curse. Noah is right that it, right in the blood-tethered Harry to life. Sorry. Um, Joe has said that when Voldemort took Harry's blood and love protection into his body, it acted like a horcrux for Harry, except that it wasn't damaging to Harry's soul. I think the only reason he survived in Deathly Hallows is because of this blood anchoring him to life. And that is the only thing stopping him from dying, along with the piece of Voldemort's soul that it was inside of him. In the Philosopher's Stone scene, though, Harry doesn't have that failsafe, so I think he indeed could have died at that point. Dumbledore even says later in the chapter that he had pulled Harry off of Quirrell just in time to stop the effort of fighting Quirrell from killing him. So that seems to indicate that he was very close to death. I think the only thing that could have possibly saved him if he'd been hit with a curse, if the fact that Voldemort was sharing the body that produced the curse enacted the love protection. So yeah, again, it would only have been Lily's love that saved his life at that point. Yeah. It's interesting that whatever spell was an act, was an active in his body, the love protection is magnified by Voldemort having the blood as well. You know, thanks for agreeing with me. I, I still believe that he would, he would have died there because he wasn't tethered to life. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely think so. And too, I mean, it comes back to the choice. Like he wasn't ready to die. So I don't think he would have. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Oh, you think he wouldn't have died? Right, right, exactly. Because he wasn't ready to, like he had to be in the forest, you know? Yeah, but would he have died whether he chose or not because this spell kind of circumvents the love protection? 
No, I don't think so. All right, so this conversation continues. <laughs> We're still undecided, but if anybody in the comments would like to call in and let us know, we will take your call. Ali Wood continues to say that it's not necessarily Lily's blood or the blood that goes into Voldemort that is the, the kind of protection. Um, she says, uh, is the blood that anchors Harry the blood that Voldemort took or would the bloodline he shares with Petunia work as well? After all, the charm was sealed when Petunia took Harry in. So does Petunia have a bit of this magic inside her as well? Certainly Harry does not have all these layers of protection at the time. Um, so the Horcrux, the blood, the wand, the hallows um, are what I consider his layers of protections. And at this point, obviously, the hallows are missing and we're discussing the blood. So um, so would he have been less able to defend himself? He also didn't know Expelliarmus, which is his counterattack nearly always against Voldemort's killing curses. If, however, Petunia's blood would have kept him anchored, I think he would have had a choice but would be far more likely to choose to go on to be with his parents. They are, at this point, the only people he has lost, and he doesn't have as many people to go back to either. If Petunia's blood does not offer that anchor, then I think Harry would have died. You know what this means, potentially. Petunia is Harry's horcrux. (laughs) What? In some sort of strained fashion, maybe. No, but we we just said she would have potentially anchored Harry to life. Isn't that what a Horcrux does? Uh, we have someone on the the stream says that Petunia does not love Harry, but <laughs> I, I think I think she does in a, in a in a forced way. She does kind that, of. It's very complicated, but but it seems the Fidelius charm works because because of the blood, not necessarily because she has these overt feelings for Harry, but maybe in a small small sense she does. In a very platonic way, says Lupin Patronus. <laughs> and she did love mm. Lily. She loved Lily, at least until she started to resent her. Yeah. Sometimes love is a complicated thing. It's a very complicated thing. <laughs> That's interesting. Just like Snape, nobody actually like cares about Harry, but they love people. They love Lily. And right. that makes Harry. So by proxy. Yeah. yeah. She is the vessel through which anybody gets at Harry, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. In every fashion. So Willow's Wanderings on the main site says the question you've posed makes me wonder if um, the Quirrell-Voldemort mixture had intended, had indeed succeeded in casting the Avada Kedavra curse. Would Harry perhaps not die, but instead, because of Lily's original love magic, um, history would repeat itself and he, Harry, would get another scar? Or perhaps his present scar would become deeper and Voldemort could more easily penetrate his mind as he does often in the series. So would he become a double Horcrux rather than actually dying? See, I think the question is here is who is casting the Avada Kedavra? Is it Voldemort or is it Quirrell? Because if it's Quirrell, then Harry would have died. Right. If it was Voldemort, then who knows? I mean, I'm pretty sure Quirrell was in control of his body. Voldemort was following. I mean, he was he was a... Sure, he was kind of victim to Voldemort being there, but it was all his. He was doing it by choice. He was definitely Voldemort's servant. But how do we know that Voldemort didn't have some sort of power over him that he wasn't under, you know, an Imperius curse or something? I don't think he would have needed the Imperius curse because, you know, he's actually on the back of his head at this moment. He literally can't get away. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Quirrell casting it. So, but this still, you know, if 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 I'm wrong on that, and it is Voldemort. This is an interesting argument from Willow's Wanderings. You know, would would the love magic still be there to sort of, 
you know, pre- prevent Harry from dying and would it further the scar? I really like the last part where Voldemort would be able to penetrate his mind um, more so than he does. That's r- really interesting. I mean, it's possible. Would we think more soul would be infused in Harry? So he'd be like a double Horcrux or something? Yeah. Everyone's saying kind of Horcrux Inception. <laughs> uh, the, so is that a Horcrux within a hor- Horcrux? <laughs> okay. Well, now we're going to like make minds explode. So, <laughs> Or it could be maybe he gets a scar on his, like, his chest and it's more epic looking, like a big lightning bolt. And those are two different Voldemorts inside of him that kind of each, I don't, I don't know, we can, that's for a fan fiction. Yeah, this is getting a bit complicated now. I think we should move on. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, so that, that, that was a, a good series of comments from you guys for the question of the week. Stirred a lot of discussion. Um, are we going to move on or, Cad, do we have any more callers? or? Let's just go on to the overall book analysis discussion. All right. So my idea with this is we have finished philosopher's stone sorcerer's stone and now it's time that we look at the whole book you know as a whole uh we're going to talk a little bit about the release the initial release critical reception of it and just some main questions we want to talk about you know looking at the book in some and after that we're going to talk about the book in terms of how it relates to the movie a little bit and we're going to be having your question you guys should call in with questions about the movie how it related to the book just so we can get a whole big discussion of Sorcerer's Stone as one final finale, then we'll jump into Chamber of Secrets for the next episode or in two episodes' time. But, but you know what I mean. We're going to do a final wrap-up of the book. So just going off the, the Wikipedia page of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone to get some basic info, the book was published on 26 June 1997 by Bloomsbury in London while in 1998, Scholastic Corporation published an edition for the United States market under the title Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. The book reached the top of the New York Times list of best-selling fiction in August 1999 and stayed near the top of that list for much of 1999 and 2000. So as we know, the book was very popular from the start uh, with, with kids and young adults, and it got really good reviews. There was one, there was one uh, New York Times review that basically was pretty pretty positive. The only thing was that the last few chapters were kind of rushed and it seemed the characters were acting too. Their behavior was kind of contrived. I'm just going to put this to you guys. What do you think about the pace of the last few chapters? Was it was it too rushed? I mean, I always thought it was pretty fast. I mean, you get... It's it's definitely a, um, a heightened pace compared to the rest of the book. You know, definitely reading back this time, I noticed it a lot more. I don't know if I did as much the first time um, because it was just something so new, but... This, this time around, it definitely felt a, a, a bit rushed. 
yeah, looking back, it's like bam, bam, bam. You know, the they go through the tasks like really quickly. And Harry, there are a few occasions where Harry just seems to know exactly what he has to do. He just decides that suddenly um, Voldemort's going for the stone or Snape is and I have to go. And it just so happens to be the, the exact right moment to do it. You know, as a, we talked about this on a few episodes back when we had Steve Vanderark, and he said that the way that everything happens is almost impossible. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I mean, I read that quote saying, you know, Joe says she is Dumbledore and Dumbledore is her. So it's just, yeah, I think it was maybe a little quick, but how else was she going to wrap it up? I think it was necessary. Yeah, and for a kid's book, yeah, maybe maybe that's perfect because kids need bam, 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 and they don't necessarily want to hear pages of character analysis. Not true with the later books because she obviously knew she grabbed readers so she can do whatever. But I, I, I too thought that it was a little rushed towards the end. So going on to the Wikipedia page, this is just some cool history. Scholastic Corporation brought, bought the U.S. rights at the Bologna Book Fair in April 1997. They thought that a child would not want to read a book with the word philosopher in the title, and after some discussion, the American edition was published in October 98 under the title, Rowling suggested, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Now, let's just, let's just take a break there. We know it's a big controversy that this title was changed. Do we think it was necessary, looking back, or does it do some damage to the book as a whole? I don't think it damages the book in any way. Was it necessary? No, but... I mean, it is what it is. I mean, philosopher has a certain connotation. Like it's a, you know, you have, you have, a, you have smart logic looking into things deeply. And for whatever reason, Scholastic didn't think that American children could, maybe they, they wouldn't find that as interesting as sorcerer, which has this kind of powerful, magical connection. But I don't think that American children are all that different from British children. And we all... We were all fine with Philosopher's Stone as it was. Um, like, I don't think it actually put many people off buying the book. It was still, you know, the most popular children's book of all time over here. So, oh, wise old Baker in the in the chat is saying that um, the real damage from Sorcerer was the fact that it, it angered the church because because of magic. Maybe if it had been Philosopher's Stone, nobody would have realized that it was. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I don't think philosophers would have would have turned me away. Like. I, re- I mean, in fifth grade, when I started reading Harry Potter, I picked it up because a friend suggested it to me. So the sorcerer's aspect didn't even really, wasn't what grabbed at me. So, yeah, I don't think it would have turned really kids away. And once it took off, you know, obviously there is going to be no stopping it regardless of the title. Here's, here's a question. Um, when it was released in, in the UK and worldwide, does does Hermione say it's the, it's the sorcerer's stone or does she say philosopher's stone? What do you mean? Depending because I on know... The- in the versions we have, Hermione says, it's it's the Sorcerer's Stone. Well, yeah. And in the British version, I'm sure it says Philosopher's Stone. You mean within the book? No, within the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh. She says she says Philosopher's in the movie. Does she say Sorcerer's in the movie for you guys? She says it in ours. She does. Really? So, yeah. Wow, they must have filmed it twice. That's interesting. I never thought about that. They must film it differently in a few places then in the UK edition. Maybe even truer to what Joe may have wanted. It says philosophers all the way throughout in the UK book. I never realized you guys got a different edition. We do. I didn't realize it either. Maybe that's why my movie kept going so far ahead of yours. <laughs> we're, we're watching different movies. There's a, there's, a great, there's a great essay on MuggleNet that I happen to publish um, that deals with this in particular. We can put this in the show notes. Um, 
but... See, now I'm going to have to bring my DVDs with me to LeakyCon next week, and you can all watch the proper version. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Although they'll be the wrong region, won't they? While we're on it, there were a few different... Uh, uh, oh, actually, I can see the reviews. Uh, there's something on Wikipedia just about this theme, so let me just read this for a second. Rowling claimed that she regretted this change and would have fought it if she had been a stronger position at the time. Philip Nell has pointed out that the change lost the connection with alchemy and the meaning of and the meaning of some other terms changed in translation. For example, from UK English crumpets to US English muffin. While Rowling accepted the change from both UK English mum and Seamus Finnegan's Irish variant to ma'am to mom in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, she vetoed the change in the later books. So it's not just the title, but it was various other word changes that they thought maybe Americans couldn't handle, like <laughs> ma'am for Seamus in terms of mom and English muffin instead of crumpets. I mean, maybe the little, little, little kids, but I don't know. I can I, understand the crumpets thing slightly more because they are a particular kind of English thing. But I think, you know, having Seamus Finnegan say ma'am instead of mum or mum is just it's it's a accent thing the same as Hagrid I mean do they change what Hagrid says in your books because it's all just about how he says it right yeah it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about I'd love someone to take the two versions and calculate all the differences and then kind of decide what that means for America what that means for UK are we sure that doesn't already exist like on the lexicon or something it could he he, he gets all of that up there doesn't he yeah. Oh, and Ginny Annabeth Everdeen pointed out, you know, they say jumper, which in the U.S. is a sweater. So. Oh, yeah, that's another one. Yeah. It's my jumper. Oh, my God. <laughs> Someone, uh, Lupin Patronus, I think Michael, accepted our challenge. So I think he's going to go through the books and see what he can find. Nice. Awesome. Oh, he says he's just kidding. <laughs> and you just disappointed thousands of fans. Jeez. That's right. Sorry, buddy. You're You're stuck. <laughs> All right, so one more one more thing to think about in terms of the book's publishing. Um, we now know that uh, it was published on purpose with the androgynous name. Uh, Joe Joe decided instead of publishing as by Joanne Rowling, Rowling, she did just J.K. Rowling. Now this she believed at the time would she thought it would sell audience and young boys better if it, she wasn't if they weren't reading from a woman writer. So. What do you guys think? Is is there some truth in this? Would it not have been as popular had she just had she gone Joanne Rowling, or did she make a mistake? I think it wasn't her choice originally for her to say um, J.K. Rowling instead of Joe Rowling. She would have preferred her own name, but the publisher, um, in particular, was afraid that um, sort of boys wouldn't kind of take to a woman writer. And there was, I think, some precedent for that decision. Um, but I think seeing as how popular it became and, you know, I guess she kind of came out as a woman writer um, and kind of no one took that particularly badly. No one kind of stopped reading the books because of it. I think she would have been fine if she had hopefully been, she would have hopefully been fine at least if she had published under her name. And and who, what child looks at the name of the author? Nobody cares about that, you know, when you're five, six, seven, eight years old. Even now, I generally don't care who the author is of a book. If it looks if it looks interesting, I'm gonna read it. When I picked it up back when I started reading it, I knew it was a female author, and that didn't turn me away from it at all. I mean, I was just so anxious to to jump into it, so it definitely didn't stop me. Even yeah, I mean, even though it was J.K., I knew it was a, I mean, it was a female author. 
I think the main the main reason for it is it was trying to play it like Lord of the Rings, like um, the Narnia series, where you have C.S. Lewis and oh. you have J.J.R.R. Tolkien. You have yeah. all of these kind of fantasy authors who do use initials within their names, and hmm. it really That's puts it into that tradition more. Yeah, I'd never hmm. thought of it that way. Hmm. Yeah. Now, now one step further. What if Harry had been female? Would this book have sold as well? I mean, it, it's perfectly fine if, if Joe had thought that this was a male protagonist in her head. But what if what if Harry had been Harriet or, you know, some other female lead? Would that have sold as well to young audiences? You know, that's that's an interesting question because, you know, you think of like a series that has done, you know, fairly well also the Hunger Games, which the it's a female protagonist, but you know, would have would it have been as successful without, you know, something like Harry Potter to take off before it. I don't know if it would have been as successful, you know, and if that's true, that's really unfortunate, but I don't know. I mean, that, that, yeah, that's my feeling too. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Um, I feel like the reason Hunger Games and, and Katniss in particular is so popular, especially with men, is that it's a violent book. And, you know, Harry Potter, at least the first book, does not have that. So what is there to catch the, you know, the boy's attention, really? There's also a strong concentration on the love story in The Hunger Games in as much as it's violent. It, it's like you can't have a, a book these days with a woman lead or a protagonist teenager lead without it being some kind of love story attached. I, I know part of the whole story of Katniss and Peeta is like she's trying to get away from this love story. She, she almost uses it to be successful. But it, you know, the love stuff doesn't feature too much in this series. So if let's say this female Harry was pretty much the same and she didn't have this connection with boys and, and some and a love story going through uh i don't think it would have been accepted even if it was virtually the same story it wouldn't have been as popular especially not right off the bat i don't think no and and i feel like she would have had to play the love stuff up more for it to be more popular yeah probably yeah and, i don't know that's just the way we are as a culture now do we do we have a quote from from joe about the uh her, her choosing the kind of androgynous author name? Um, we have something from The Telegraph from 2000 um, where she says, it was the publisher's idea. They could have called me Enid Snodgrass. I just wanted the book published. So <laughs> All right. in the end, she just didn't really care. She just wanted to get her story out there. Enid I I Snodgrass. Wow, that's... That's a name. Snodgrass. I mean, that's. I, I think that's definitely understandable. And you know, she's. It, it positioned her to to obviously get her book published, to be uh, a celebrity worldwide, and even become a more powerful feminist and push for women's, you know, um, power in so many things. So I think it's it's given her such a great opportunity anyway. Okay. So now we should do. Should we go for the movie discussion? Absolutely. Let's do it. People start calling in. Here we go. We have a call uh, from Michael. He's Lupin Patronus uh, in the chat there. Hey, Michael. Oh. Hi. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. thanks for calling. Hey. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I, my heart's still pounding because I accidentally committed myself to looking at all the differences between <laughs> Philosopher's and Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, we expect it. So. <laughs> I don't have a copy of Philosopher's Stone. I only have Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, so. no. But I will, I'll, I'll, I will try and work on that. But um, so we're, so, so we're talking about the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Initial thoughts. Initial thoughts on the movie. Okay. Well, I, I mean, personally, I, uh, out of all the movies as a film student, I prefer Prisoner of Azkaban because I look back on the first two, and I just think it, the, the funny thing is, so many people love 
the 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 first two I know because they're so close to the books, but in a way, for me, in the the way Chris Columbus was so close, it made it so boring for me. Interesting. And Alfonso mm-hmm. Cuarón's awesome. Yeah, I think I think he did. I think he gave it a more artistic twist because Sorcerer's Stone plays it so safe with so many things like the, especially like camera angles and the 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 set design and. Um, just, and, and one, of course, the acting was just, you know, not quite up to par from the kids. The adults, of course, was, and they were fine. But I don't know. I just, I, I love Sorcerer's Stone now just for nostalgic reasons. Like, I just basically watch and go, oh my God, they're so cute. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't, yeah, I, I, I can't really like, they're, they're not my, like my favorite films yeah. the first two but but i i do think that like I, i'm impressed by the closeness to the books but sometimes i'm always surprised at things they kept and the things they dropped like i love the throwaway thing of hagrid being like oh yeah well you know norbert's in uh, romania now whatever oh, i don't care that's not a plot point <laughs> <laughs> good hagrid that was excellent well, well i do work for audio fiction so <laughs> i try um <laughs> but um but yeah, no, I think that's. I think it's funny sometimes the plot points that they chose to retain, and then some of the ones they dropped that ended up actually being important. Like everyone, everyone in the chat right now is saying, "Peeves, Peeves, where's Peeves?" That's true. And when do we get a Norbert? We didn't get rid of Norbert. Off, off screen, just gone. Well, and Peeves, I, I love Peeves, and I, as a fan, I wish he had been in the film. I can see why he was cut. I think it would have been more important to retain the ghosts throughout the films. Like, they dropped nearly Headless Nick after the second one. I think it's mainly because they, they were quite expensive to do. I mean, I know the Potter movies got so much money that they really should have been able to do anything by that point. But, I mean, I think they cut Dobby from some movies as well because just the the price of making those special effects was just far too much whilst they were actually in production of the movies. Yeah, no, that yeah, some of the things they dropped. I'm sure they probably spent their whole budget on the Quidditch. Yeah. Scene. So, but yeah, no, I I think that there's that's reasonable that there were some things that had to be dropped just because of effects purposes. But I think I guess I guess as far as like just minor plot things, just like are we? I I know you guys had talked about how ridiculous ridiculous it is that McGonagall takes so many points from them in the book. It's even more absurd in the film because you take out the dragon aspect. And then it's literally just you were walking around the school at night, and the, you 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 walked. So I'm going to take 150 points from each from all. That's ridiculous. And why didn't they include Neville at that point as well? I mean, why why not have Neville in the forest? Why only the four of them? It doesn't really make sense. I would think that they did that just because you've had Malfoy out of the film for too long. This this, <laughs> this is a thing with adaptation. It's like you can't drop your main villain in conflict well Malfoy's a secondary villain but you can't have him gone for too long or you know people because movies just assume that their viewers are stupid and they're like oh well they'll just forget or they won't care about the conflict anymore so you have to kind of bring uh, that back into it kind of like um this happened with a far off reference but uh Beauty and the Beast um the Disney adaptation uh they had dropped bell out of the conversation when the beast and gaston are having their confrontation at the end of the film and they actually went back and looked her back into gaston's dialogue Mm. because they felt that they that it was getting too far off course they were like oh we're forgetting that this whole conflict is about bell and so 
as far as this particular situation, I think it just worked better to drop, to, uh, to keep Ron and Malfoy and Hermione and Harry because they're the main conflict, because Ron was out of it originally. Right. So I think that just, uh, I think that worked better as far as keeping that dynamic between those four characters. You just have to, because Neville's just, uh, we love him, but he's a secondary character. And that's what I was just <laughs> going to say. Yeah, I mean, at this point, he is so unimportant to the plot or anything. Um, so th- what's the point in having him in there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could talk about this for hours, but I'm sure there's other people who probably want to call you guys. So I'll, I can I can let you guys go if you want. All right. Well, thanks for the comment. Thanks for calling. Yeah, absolutely. You should come on a show sometime. Oh, I, I plan to. I think I've scheduled that with Kat. So. Great. You have excellent voice impressions. Yes, everyone in the chat is loving it. Oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even watching that. I'm just like, I'm just so nervous right now. I'm just like, ah, this it's, is live. You should, uh, you should do a voice on your way out. Oh, I should do a voice. Oh, should I? Well, um, how about, I, I love doing Harry, Ron, and Hermione. So maybe Perfect. they can, so, so, I'll, well, so, so, so we've, I've got to, I've, we, we've got to go, Hermione, because we've got, we've got so much homework to do, you know, but I, and, and I, I don't know how to, I don't know what, to, I don't know where any of the planets are. Oh, Harry, that's just... Okay, well, you know, if you would ever just read your book once in a while, your astronomy book, maybe we could, we could do that. Oh, I, I, need, I need help. I need help, too. I need help, too, because I just... I'm, I'm just okay. Okay, let, let's, let's go. All right. The, the, that was lovely. Now you've wasted all of their lovely time, and this is way too long now. All right. Well, so, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alan Moore team, for having us on. And thank you so Bye, much. Bye, HRH. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Michael. <laughs> that was incredible. Noah, I think your your position as uh, best voices has just been taken. <laughs> that was the amazing voice talents of Michael, and you guys can go and check him out on the MuggleNet Fan Fiction Podcast Audio Fictions if you want to hear more of his amazing voices. Yeah, he does great voices. He's really That's good fantastic. on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Let's read some of our uh, movie comments here. Um, we have some tweets that were sent out during the actual movie. So we have one from Snape Escape about Peeves and um, saying that Rick Mail was cast as Peeves um, at the very, very beginning and scenes were shot, but the crew didn't know how to make him look like a poltergeist. So the scenes that were shot were actually cut from the final movie. I would love to see what those scenes looked like because Rick Mail would have been perfect as Peeves. He's a brilliant actor and it would have just been completely chaotic and it would have been brilliant. Yeah, why didn't they include that on the DVD? I want to see that footage. I don't know. I guess it was just too early for them to to really think about it. I mean, it makes sense. How do you how do you create a vision of a poltergeist if it's not quite a ghost? And we know what ghosts look like. Uh, poltergeists are supposed to be a little bit more physical. Well, they're solid. They're not see through or transparent, whatever. Yeah, so maybe they, they thought it would have looked kind of doofy. I mean, I imagine kind of a very pasty white act character actor kind of on the smaller side floating up in the air that might be tough to create uh, for, you know cinematically yeah how would you make them look more dead than a ghost or more alive than a ghost but less alive than a human but what uh, i don't think poltergeists were ever alive right no no but how would you physically show that i imagine like ghostbusters like some like funny character actors flying after the trio turning into casper the friendly ghost <laughs> Yeah, but I, I mean, I guess I can see, I can see his story being cut is not too too much of a loss. I mean, I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel a need the way it was going. And also, uh, uh, to your comments before about the ghosts not being 
throughout the entire thing. I, I guess for this level of film, it's okay for them just to make their cameo at the end and then for them to focus basically on plot movers. And, you know, maybe it would have helped the scenery if they were flying a bit or they were flying around. It would have kept everything more magical. But I don't know. I, I feel like they, they did their work there. Yeah, I mean, well. I, guess, I guess they turned Ron into Peeves in a way because he's the, the comic relief at this point instead of Peeves with all his, you know, Potter, you rotter, all the songs and stuff that he's saying going through the halls. Yeah, I mean, it it would have been cool to see him in the second movie too, where he's also he's singing Ginny's love song. You know, so many moments that are lost in the movies that could have been released as bonus material. Yeah, and the fifth movie, especially with you know the the Fred and George leaving scene with yeah. him saluting them as they leave, the kind of masters of chaos that they are. Someone in the chat says that they always imagined Peeves as Andy Dick. <laughs> I just That's thought that really was pretty funny. funny. Yeah, I could see that. That would have been a funny casting. Maybe they're not they're not missing too much, but maybe in new remakes twenty years from now the movies, Peeves Peeves will make an appearance. You never know. Twenty years, you think they'll be re- remade twenty years? I think it'll be more like fifty. Fifty? I don't think they'll be remade when Joe's alive. Yeah. I don't I don't think I she'll agree. allow them to be. I hope not. I, I don't I don't think I want to see them remade that soon. Maybe five years animated series, guys. WB. No. no, God, no. Trying to trying to bring the magic back. No. Mm-mm. We're doing all the magic being brought right here on Alohomora. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, MuggleNet. Bazinga. Sorry. Okay. Continue. Next comment. So I was looking at the quit. This is from me. This is from Noah. Uh, watching the movie, the the whole Quidditch game. Look at looking at Flint. He's just this perfect almost evil character. He's got that ugliness. We've talked about that before. Slytherins are just portrayed as horrible in this movie. I know everything's from Harry's consciousness, but just in the same way that Joe set us up to hate Slytherins, the movie does a very good job. And this is all part of that, that narration. You know, we don't, we don't see the narrator in the book, but the narration in the movie is set design and the way things are given to us. And that's like an extra layer. It's kind of the window that WB is making us look through, or the director of the movie is making us look through. So we have to be very conscious of that window. And didn't didn't you think the Sl- the Slytherins were a bit evil? And is that is that good? Is that great? Or d- it sets up prejudice for later on, right? Well, I mean, we get that immediately when we meet Draco. So, but Flint was just so I don't know that those teeth, those teeth, and that and his. There's one point. There's one point where he's like screaming at the. Uh, I don't know, one of the Slytherin chasers to get like the Gryffindors and then they start beating on them with all these fouls. But it's not just the it's not just the Slytherins that they kind of change the physicality of to make them appear in a certain way. They um, for poor Matthew Lewis, they stuck they gave him f- uh, fake teeth and stuck things behind his ears to make them stick out to well, make and him the, look more and, like a silly character. And he wore a fat suit up until the sixth movie. Yeah. But I mean and Maybe, I mean, Rosie, you can correct this for me, probably. And this is definitely a prejudice. I do not believe this in any way, shape, or form. I'm just um, putting this out there. Sure but isn't, isn't it kind of a... Um, isn't it said that people in the UK don't have the best teeth? Isn't that kind of like, a, um, you know, a predisposition that some people think? I don't believe that because I know plenty of British people. Some people think that. It's more that we have normal teeth and that you know we see all of these kind of famous hollywood movie stars who have the perfect teeth that are kind of scary like it's all kind of that real life versus hollywood divide 
Um, I wouldn't yeah. say that England traditionally has bad teeth at all. Um, our dental care is fine, especially our NHS dental care, which is free. Um, so I think, you know, it's just the the... Yeah, it's kind of showing evilness through physicality, but it's not necessarily an English thing. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the movie is just playing on all of our natural, like, go-to, not necessarily prejudices, but just conventions of, of seeing movies. Like, we, considering this was marketed towards kids, they, WB wanted to make sure that they see the who the evil characters are, who the good characters are, and we don't like the ugly ones, but we like the, we like the cute ones. It's just, it's, it's, it's the way these stories work. And, you know, elements of them are in the books. And, you know, it's, it's cool to see how they're – the application of it. But I think you'll, you'll find it as people are saying in the chat in every, in every story. But I think there are probably people out there who think that Marcus Flint guy is pretty cute. I mean, not me, but I'm saying I'm sure there's someone who does. Wait, really? Really? I don't know. No, wait, not – no. I'm, I'm <laughs> waiting for somebody to, in the chat to say that they think he's okay. <laughs> So far, a bunch of no's. They're disagreeing. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yes. Liz Snape 92. She says yes. There you yeah, go. You're calling her out. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Give us a call, Liz. We want to hear from you. In the meanwhile, I think we have some Twitter replies at Snape, from Snape Escape. Thank you, Snape Escape, for all your continued comments on all of our podcasts. You are awesome. Um, she asked, do you prefer the old school uniforms or the new ones? They change several times throughout the films. I think um, as they grow up, they get kind of more fashion-focused. Um, so the the early uniforms were very much more towards, I guess, what my school uniform was like, what general school uniforms are like in England. Um, and they, they kind of get more fashion-focused as the movies progress into more kind of Hollywood movies. Um, yeah, they, they wear normal clothes and sweaters and, and such. Yeah. I, I miss the little hats. I like the little the hats. hats. Are I, so cute. <laughs> I know. I have one of those little hats. Um, it's Hope, who was on our first episode. It's her hat. And uh, she gave it to me to kind of hold on to when she moved to Colorado. And I look at it every day, and I wish it fit my head because I'd wear it for Halloween. I'm just saying. <laughs> Kat, I would say you should take a picture of yourself and, like, flip it into the, the window so everyone could see it. But to spare any more technical difficulties, we will not <laughs> do that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, do we think in the actual books, Joe would have imagined that at a certain point they're not wearing robes anymore, they start getting into normal clothes, or was that purely the movies? No, definitely the movies, because it says all throughout the books that they're in the robes. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's the movie thing. I mean, don't they even get points taken away from them because they don't show up to Hogwarts in their robes? At At least once, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. At the very beginning. Um, But then again, there is... I mean, um, in in the UK, we have um, sixth form, which is when you do your, I guess, your newts rather than your owls. Um, and for for my sixth form, at least, that was something that we were allowed to wear our own clothes to. So we had uniform up until um, what would have been, you know, the fifth book stage. Um, and then for sixth and seventh, we would have been allowed to wear our own clothes. So there is a kind of coming of age, growing up, being able to wear your own clothes aspect to it. Um which is kind of what I think the movies are going for. Um, but they would have been wearing their uniforms for much longer than they are shown to. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Next Twitter comment from Silver Doe, 25. Why the arbitrary changes like the name of the Forbidden Forest? I guess to the to the dark forest, they mean. See, I'm not entirely sure if it's dark forest in my movie. I thought it was forbidden forest, so that might be another thing that's changed. Where does it say dark forest? I remember yeah, I've hearing never forbidden caught forest. Dark, yeah. dark forest before. In, I think in the movie it's called the dark forest instead of the forbidden forest. Is what in the American in. version or at, at least in the American version? I I know because I just watched it and I heard. I thought forbidden, I heard forbidden forest. forest in mine as well. Oh, you know what it is? It's Filch. He says something about going into the dark, or the the forest is dark at night. Something like the dark forest at night. I think that's what it is, the dark forest at night. I so, feel like I've heard it called the dark forest, though. Maybe it's both. Or maybe it's changed to Forbidden Forest, and it's supposed to be dark. No, because it's, forbidden, it's in forbidden in the book, yeah. Okay. Okay, we're getting several comments now correcting us. But... <laughs> See, uh, yeah, Deb25 says that you're going into the dark forest, Filch says. But I think he's saying dark forest as in he's describing the forest. He's not calling it, it the dark forest. It is, in fact, dark. And we could possibly say that the Forbidden Forest has a certain darkness to it that other forests do not. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it's more as an adjective than... Uh, thank you, Ustream user 8- 8202231. Okay. Here's a lovely <laughs> comment from Wise Old Baker. Uh, with Firenze looking dark in the movie and Angelic in the books, did it make a difference for you? Because remember in our discussion of Firenze before, he was, uh, he was light and angelic. But in the movie, he is dark. Dark, kind of darker. Black hair, dark skin. We won't see him again. I think it's probably easier to do darker effects, especially in a dark background, dark forest, um, where they, have to, they can be less detailed. In the in the graphics department, probably, I don't know. It didn't bother me. I, honestly, I didn't even think about it. Yeah, I didn't think about it. So I guess the angelic aspect in the book had more of an impact than how he looked in the movie. But I don't really like. I don't like the centaurs in the film. I think they are. They look kind of creepy. I guess they. I don't know if that is because of the darkness. They just. They don't look human enough for me to believe that they are, you know, part human, part horse. They and in are, fact, they are that, intellectual too. They shouldn't look so beastly because yeah. they have a. They kind of the way the faces look. They're almost they've kind of lost their noses, a bit like Voldemort does. There's something about them that that face just reminds me of that kind of evil, the evil look that Voldemort eventually kind of develops. They're too inhuman, as Michael Lupin Patronus has just said. I mean, and remember, with the book, you had the difference between dark and light between Bane and Ferenz, and that creates a. Uh, some kind of a dialogue between there. them, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, oh well. <laughs> you know, I kind of wish we saw more. We see more centaurs in the movies, but unfortunately, we don't. I believe not. Again, I think fit. that's that's because they were too expensive. Because they are completely CGI creatures, it would have been easier for them to have maybe filmed humans rather than the CGI face. I don't yeah. know. Right, like, like, oh, again, Lupin Patronus in the chat is saying, like, the Narnia centaurs. Yeah. Yeah. They're just kind of overcomplicated, and it just doesn't work as well as it could have done. Yeah. I mean, we do see them again in the Order of the Phoenix, but they're basically just running by, so they don't have to be detailed or given facial features at all, so. It's kind of a shame, because with these characters, even though it's money to make, there's just such great dialogue here, especially from friends. I mean, we get the dialogue, but, I mean, you know, in all the movies... Someone says Ryan Gosling for friends. <laughs> oh my god! I would watch it. Another change in the movie was the fact that James Potter is made into a chaser. I mean, a seeker instead of a chaser. Remember that when Harry when ha- Harry Ron discovers the trophies and the fact that James was a Quidditch player, he's a seeker, not a chaser. Right. Yeah, I think that was done to be to make him seem more like Harry. Um, of, yeah, of course. Yeah. But it's nice that he was a, a chaser in the book. I think. There's, there's almost one, one connection too many. Yeah, but, I agree. But it's funny because I think it connects better with him being a seeker because of him playing with the snitch the whole time. But yes, I understand, you know, he's a chaser. Which makes me wonder if, you know, maybe Joe had watched the movie and forgotten her own details slightly more when she was writing that scene later on. Well, there are lots of examples where, you know, the movie canon has kind of infiltrated the book canon. So... Yeah, and as Lupin Patronus is saying, it's making it easier for viewers. If we just stay with Seeker, the kids don't necessarily know multiple Quidditch, uh, you know, different positions yet. So it makes a great deal of sense. Also, you know, you have to kind of try out for these roles, although Harry didn't. So perhaps when when James was a chaser, that was the only role available for him. But he ultimately wanted to be Seeker and tried out again later on. And that's why he had the snitch later on. Oh, he like could have been like both roles, as people are suggesting. Right, like, like Ginny. Ginny. Like Ginny, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. No, that's I don't know if that's true though. Is it? Do we do we, we know that know. he played that's as a, a seeker? That's a detail we don't know, but there is, you know, we see him playing with a snitch later on, so it could right. happen. Oh, oh, got it. Okay, that's you know that's interesting. I feel like though the chaser is a different personality than the seeker. And Ginny played both. Jimmy's Ginny's very versatile. Yeah, but, but she I was think, a much she was a much better chaser than uh, seeker. Yeah, because I feel like each Quidditch position has some form of uh, personality trait that goes along with it. You, you, maybe you have to be a certain character uh, or state of mind. That'd be interesting to analyze. But well, then which then point. which one does his personality fit more? James. Yeah. I, th- I think chaser, uh, kind of like a beater, involves more of a a go getter, more of a uh, an, a slightly more aggressive personality and a seeker is willing to go between the violence and kind of manipulate the the scenes and you know get to the object or goal the snitch and i think those are different personalities both outgoing but for different reasons and a beater perhaps would be a bit more aggressive and willing to get right in there kind of like the chaser but without any goals in mind they're helping they're helping along the way see i think your version of james and my version of james are very different people because i would have said he was more of the go-getter um, but I always wondered maybe like if he did change roles, maybe he was doing it to try and show off for Lily. I mean, Seeker is considered a more kind of impressive role. So perhaps he wanted to change from a slightly boring chaser where there's already kind of, you know, three of them into something that was individual and makes him stand out slightly more. 
Right. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, I think his personality fits better into the uh, seeking role than the chasing. Of James? Uh huh. I don't know. Especially because of the especially because of the real life Muggle Quidditch players that I know who are seekers. So. I would side more with Noah. I still think he's more yeah. of a chaser. There seems to be a male-female divide in Battle this. of the sexes, that's right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hopefully we'll find out more in Pottermore. As we know, the game of Quidditch itself is tied to relationships, <laughs> or at least I've made that oh, connection. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I think you're the only one who thinks that. I, I had a pretty hearty conversation with people in the forums oh. uh, about that. <laughs> it, w- it was good. I mean, pretty much everyone disagreed with me, but it was, it was a good discussion. <laughs> so, <laughs> we have one more comment from AJ. Hey guys, I wanted to discuss a bit of the creative license taken in this movie, namely Professor McGonagall turning from a cat into a human in her transfiguration classroom in that quick scene. While I get that they showed a a shadow of the transformation early in this film, I question why they didn't wait until the third film to have her show it to the class. Any thoughts on why they did it now rather than waiting for the film where being an animagist has a bigger role in the plot? Thanks for taking my question and thanks for allowing me to be part of the podcast. Of course. I think it's all for that kind of um, the the fact that Ron was saying, you know, oh, we're late. Thank God she's not here because she we would have been in trouble if if she were. And then, you know, she is there. She is the cat. She turns into the to the human. I think it's all for that little joke there and that little kind of magical shock um, as opposed to a plot role. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. And it had a... It- brought continuity from the beginning scene where she is changing into a cat to remind the viewers. And, you know, it was just a clever, funny bit that was a little extra. That was great. Yeah, I mean, they're walking into their first, you know, Hogwarts class the first time they're, you know, studying magic, and it's just a cool display of that. Yeah, and it uh, it gives us a little bit of more feedback of what transfiguration is because it's all about transformation. So it's a great, um, like, it's a great opener to the transfiguration class. Because she is herself transforming. Deb25 in the chat says, Film 1 is all about exposing audiences to the many aspects of the wizarding world. So yeah, it's a nice way of introducing the, the fantastic magic of an animagus. Yeah, kind of yeah. Before that, it becomes important. Exactly. And that's why they couldn't fit necessarily everything in, because they wanted to get a kind of a, a sampling of all of it, all the different magical influences of the wizarding world. Definitely. So what particular part of the movie um, do you guys like that you know, is true to the book and is not true to the book. I miss that the Snape, uh, the potions task was taken out. Yeah, yeah. Me, too. me too. That's, yeah, that was disappointing. I would have liked to see that. that they been really incredible. do rush through the tasks at the end, and it would have been nice if they'd included all seven. Don't they? I mean, even if Hermione was back there, maybe Harry could have worked it out on his own, but maybe that would have been too much of a, of a change from the book. Yeah, I would have been okay with them leaving out, like, the... the knocked out troll but i definitely wanted the potion in there you streamer 542260 says it would have ruined the pacing and i think that's probably exactly the reason why they took it out it was been too much of a slow scene where hermione literally just had to stop and think for a while it works well in the books but you know visually it wouldn't have been interesting night strike says anti-climax after the chess scene I, so, I, I, I mean i can agree with that but i also think there's a way of still making it high stakes you know like Hermione's like, or Harry's like trying to rush her and she's just trying to stay calm. And there's still a way I think they could have filmed it to where it's, you know, high energy. And, you know, Harry walking through fire could have been a really cool, cool yeah, way to, to definitely. go into seeing Quirrell. So, yeah. What, what other major changes did you guys see? 
I guess the the dragon bit where, you know, we we just discussed it earlier where Hagrid just says, you know, they've shipped him off to Charlie and we don't get to see them trying to smuggle a dragon through the castle. That would have been quite fun and quite kind of tension filled. My poor dragons. <laughs> I know, I would have liked it too. Hey guys, we got a call coming through from uh Brilliant. from Jessica Baker. Hold on. Hi Jessica. Hey. 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 So guys, this is Wise Old Baker. You might remember her. She was on episode 8. Welcome back. Hey, how's it going? Good. Um, First, I wanted to thank you guys for talking about the senator thing. Uh, that really helps me out, actually. Um, but uh, secondly, I wanted to ask you guys, because I didn't get a chance to watch the movie with everybody today. I was just kind of in the chat. But isn't this the movie where Professor Flitwick kind of looks like the little old balding man? Yes. Yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah, and then like the later movies, he's like a young man. Did that did that bother anybody else? Because it kind of confused me when I was <laughs> uh, watching the movies later on when I got older. I mean, it's the same actor, right? Yeah, it's Warwick Davis again. Um, Should they have kept him old? I think, I think they literally just forgot that they'd already included him. Um, <laughs> I've I've actually been had the privilege of interviewing Warwick Davis and I, I think I actually asked him about this at one point um, and I think he preferred the, the younger outfit because there was less prosthetics it was just a smaller beard um, and he could have gone through costume a lot quicker um, oh, I'm sure which was probably the main reason why they, they did make it younger because um, he he had to sit through all of the goblin um, costumes for so long all of the noses and all of the ears and everything it's just yeah. a lot easier for him to do the, the short beard and short look and the young look than the old ones. What did you guys what did you guys think of the goblins real quick? No, I thought they did a good job uh, of it. They were, I thought they were they, brilliant. Yeah, they were good. Yeah, I liked, I liked those guys too. I was just wondering what you guys thought about Flitwick because I do remember when I was younger getting confused because I couldn't remember who Professor Flitwick was <laughs> when, uh, when the younger guy popped up. Flitwick is cool, but I always... I keep forgetting that they got rid of bins. There's another whole professor that we never see in the movies. Yeah, that's because he's a ghost. And he was also and really he's the boring. boring one. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, the boring. Kids yeah. don't like boring, no matter how much continuity yeah, it I has for the book. <laughs> you just got cut. But I, it makes sense with Flit, Flitwick being an actual, a younger, youngish character who, in the books, who can, like, fight. It, it makes sense that he shouldn't be an old man. Yeah, I would agree. Rip movie bins. Funny, because he's a ghost. Cool. Well, thanks for the comment, Jessica. No, thank you, guys. Good talking and, to you. And Jessica, I'm sorry that I have kept you in the dark about the secret project that you and Allie Wood and various others will be working on, possibly, but that's coming soon. Thank you. I appreciate that, because you kind of left the day again. My Ravenclaw instincts have made me high-strung for the past couple days. <laughs> we like our secret project, so just keep an eye out for that one. Something's coming. All right. Bye-bye. See you, guys. See ya. We've got a great comment in the chat about another movie difference from Yule One E U L E One, um, and it says there are only Harry's parents in the mirror. I want to see his complete family because in the books, obviously, we saw all of his grandparents and everything behind them. That would have been great. It would have been so easy too, I think, to just cast a bunch of people that looked kind of like them. It yep. would have been so easy. Yeah, I, I may maybe they wanted to keep the just just the parents. They didn't want it to be just about the whole family. They wanted to magnify only his parents. Yeah, I mean, obviously, but still. I'm, I'm like, 10% purist when it comes to the, to the movies compared to books. 
And that, and I mean, that's one of the things I I think I'm purist about the sentimental things and something like that, I feel like would have been easy to do and they could have put it in there. I don't know. It would have shown that he came from a, a wide ranging family of people that loved him rather than just kind of two people. Admittedly, they are, you know, they are the important ones within the plot and everything, but it would have been nice for him to have had this whole family, this huge, great bunch of people who loved him when he's felt so alone for so long. I wonder what kind of shot that would have been, though, from a from a cinema standpoint. They would have had to, like, do a shot from Harry's angle and you'd be, like, looking up. I mean, he's, he's too short to look down. How would they how would they pan that to see all the people behind him? I don't know. Let's ask uh, Sierra. She's calling in. Maybe she has an opinion on it. Cool. Hey, Sierra. We hear some Hi. noise. Oh. Well, hey Hello. They left Peeves out of the movie. They shouldn't have left Peeves out of the movie. No, they shouldn't have done. Where are you calling from? Ireland. Ireland. Oh, well, thank, thank you for calling. That's pretty far. That's awesome. Ireland's far for you, but not for me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Where did she say? I, did, I didn't quite hear her. Where did she say she was from? Ireland. Ireland, I think. Oh, my people. Yes. <laughs> She's gone. She just, she vanished. Oh but yeah, she was saying about Peeves not being in the movie and they really shouldn't have left him out, as we were saying earlier. Yeah. Agreed. All right. So I, you know, let's let's take a few more calls and then that's pretty much the show. Hello? Hi. 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 Um, you know when you were talking about the dark forest or the forbidden forest? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I think the reason why the, um, they had the they had two names is because it's easier to remember. Like England, it's like they have a whole bunch of names for England. <laughs> so that's it. And I love your website. Bye. Bye. Thank you very Bye. much. Thank you. I think that was Carol Ann again. Um, <laughs> so she was saying that it was easier to remember. Um, the the Forbidden Forest as the Dark Forest because it's you know less specific. It's obvious that it's dark, um, and that it's quite similar to having lots of names for England. Um, but the thing about England is that there is only one country called England, and there is a country called Scotland, and a country called Wales, and actually two countries which are Ireland. Um, together, Scotland, Wales, England, and uh, um, yeah, Scotland, Wales, and England are Great Britain. Um, and with Northern Ireland as well, we are the United Kingdom, um, and Ireland itself is a separate country. So it's a bit confusing, but we are all different areas. Yeah. But yes, of course, different places. Do we have any more, any more call-ins, guys? Oh, here is another AJ. Hold on. Let's, uh... Hello. Hello. Hi, AJ. Hey. Well... I was kind of thinking it's kind of a little bit of an amusing thing that I've just thought about was that in the movies, they don't include Fred and George were joking around how they were going to send Ginny a toilet seat. And then when Harry faces off with Quirrell and ends up unconscious in the hospital wing, Dumbledore mentions that Madame Pomfrey had to stop Fred and George from giving him a toilet seat. And I just thought it was amusing. I would have loved to have seen that in the movie. And it probably would have been easy, too, to include. It would have been very simple to include. Who, who do you have uh, <laughs> guest starring with you there, AJ? <laughs> oh, my kids are playing in the background. My three-year-old is playing with his Transformers on the floor. That's, that's <laughs> really cute. Can you imagine Richard Harris just handing Harry a toilet seat? I would have loved it. That would have been very amusing. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's such an easy joke to add in as well. I mean, if they kept in, you know, alas, earwax, they could have kept in a little thing about a toilet seat. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that's something we should talk about is um, Richard Harris, obviously, because... Richard Harris Dumbledore, yeah. Yeah, he's no longer with us. So how, how do people feel about that? Do, you, do we feel like he could have pulled off the more intense, angrier Dumbledore in the later movies? Personally, I don't. But then I was quite unhappy with what happened to Dumbledore throughout the later books. I, I. I loved Dumbledore from the early books. And, you know, Richard Harris was perfect for those ones in in. Uh, Philosopher's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. Um, but Isn't he as, just immensely close? Dumbledore, close to your vision yeah, of Dumbledore? He's he's absolutely perfect. Yeah. But obviously as Dumbledore changes and gets darker, I think he wouldn't have been able to, to do it. And Michael Gambon is much better for that role. Agreed. Yeah, yeah I think there was there was a lot. I mean, we, we'll talk about this more later, but I think, you know, the criticism for Gambon taking on the role and not looking as much like him is fair, but I do think he did uh, a great job of, you know, handling those more intense aspects. Definitely. See, I prefer Michael Gambon, quite honestly. Um, he looks more like my Dumbledore, with the exception of the fact that he never wears the glasses. Um, but... Yeah. Yeah, I I like Richard Harris, but I, I think he was too soft-spoken, too quiet, not... He didn't seem... Um, I don't want to say smart, but it, there was no intensity to his character. No, I'm not, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it just wasn't enough for me. It wasn't enough. I think for the, for the beginning, um, Dumbledore was meant to be kind of this kind of grandfather figure, the kind of Merlin guiding you through. Um, and he becomes much more of kind of an action hero later on. Um, so again, it's kind of, it's two roles. And I think it, it's fine the way it is. And it's it's just very sad that we did lose Richard Harris when we did. Yeah. It would have been interesting to see him, but I don't think it would have pulled it off. No. I feel like there's a quote also that Gammon just didn't read the books, really. He he, uh, he just kind of did the role. And I think that might have influenced my viewing of him as just, you know, he wasn't... He, he didn't know Dumbledore, really, to do the role. Yeah, but Alan Rickman, I mean, didn't he say that he hadn't read the books either? pretty sure about that one Is and that true? and he was spot on as snape obviously yeah but he talked to joe he got secrets that no one else did so he knew his character more even if he never read the books this is true i think snape's an interesting one because because obviously the books um are from harry's point of view and harry is so kind of misled from with snape for so long that it's more important for alan rickman to have had the conversation with joe and to to know um, Snape from outside of the books than from the Snape from inside of the books. It's a very different kind of medium film, um, and I think he does it brilliantly. Yeah, I think he's coming to a new show on Broadway, actually, close to where I work. I forget what it's called, but he loves the theater, and that just comes through in his portrayal. Okay. Has um, has cat has cat disappeared suddenly? I think she stepped out for a second. She's checking on her cats. Guys, while Cat's <laughs> gone, you should all know Cat loves cats. I have two so, cats. Just she has saying. two cats. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. All right, um, let's take our last call for the day. Hey, it's Michael. <laughs> Mine is back. Oh, wow. That is awesome. You, you do the female voices so great. I, I can't imagine. Like, do you have a technique? Um, No. 
I, 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 no, this is just how I naturally talk. No, that would be terrible. Wouldn't that be awful if I couldn't, if I couldn't turn that off? Um, <laughs> Michael, do you have a Luna voice as well as Hermione voice? Oh, God, my Luna voice is terrible. I have a good show, but my Luna, I wish I could do that accent. I so wish I could do that accent. But, like, I, I read her once on audio fictions, um, and I was not happy with that read. Um, there's people on audio. The rest of the team does much better Luna than I do. But, um, Michael, can you tell us what various characters of the Harry Potter series think of our podcast? Well, no, actually, I'm not going to start because that's that's not fair. Because um, Harry, Harry, it's his it's his series. So go ahead, Harry. Well, um, you know, I I love looking back at the series with with Alamore. I think it's lovely. I think and Noah, Noah, I love your voices. I love them so much. Um, do you? Uh, yes, I do. And it's it's just very magical, and it's just incredible to look back at my life and see how you know everybody analyzes what I've done throughout the years. It's just it's incredible. And I'm uh, oh Ron Ron is poking me. He wants to talk. So, um, Ron, ow, 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 ow. Okay, okay, okay. Let me let me talk now. Let me talk. All right, all right, all right. Okay. Um, I think that um. I, I don't even know. I'm talking with the microphone. I don't. I, I think that's what Hermione told me to talk like, not too close. So I think I'm doing it right. Um, I love Alamore too. I can't think of anything to say that Harry hasn't already said. So I'm gonna let Hermione talk now. I'm doing. I'm doing movie Ron. I'm making him really dumb. <laughs> it's unfortunate, but true. He just. A comic relief. Yeah, it, 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 that made me sad, especially in Chamber of Secrets when Hermione steals all of his lines. And she's, <laughs> I, I get why they did that, but oh, sorry, We're, I, I'm supposed to be letting Hermione talk. Yes, yes, it's, it's my turn now. Um, yes, I do believe you go into a very thorough, deep, thoughtful, incredible analysis of books. There are things that I look back at that I have not even, I have not even thought of. Um, that's, it's and that's incredible. It's incredible. Yes, I, yes, and I did translate the tales of Beetle the Bard. So yes, that is saying something. Because yes, um, and, and that's all. I think that's all we have to say. I, I, I chose here, but she's crying. <laughs> oh, big surprise there, right? Do we need to give her a moment, or? Well, oh, I just I want to talk about something that you're not going to I will have to come back to you for Cho in book four, and we'll we'll talk about Cedric then. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know why they're all in my house right now, but um, <laughs> they're they're gonna have to go. Well, thank them all for joining us very much, and thank you, Michael, again. Oh, thank you guys. I, your fans are so sweet, and they should not to plug, but I'm gonna plug. Go listen to audio fictions, kids. But after <laughs> you listen to Alamora, because that's where I think a lot of you guys don't understand that I'm actually the project manager for audio fictions. I saw people in the chat being like, he should be on audio fictions. Yeah. <laughs> so go check that out. But after Alohomora, right? right? Well, the thing about the, th the great thing about Alohomora is that we want to plug all of our MuggleNet projects. We have Muggle Space, which is a social network for Harry Potter fans. We have M&I that Caleb works for. We have, um, we have fan fiction and audio fictions. There are so many places where you can interact and you know, we want to be the kind of the ground where all those places meet. So thank you for being on the show, Michael. You know, definitely going to have you again. Yes, we can't wait to talk to you again soon. Great. Thanks, Hermione. Have a good day. All right. Uh, goodbye again. Bye. Goodbye. All right. Well, thanks to Michael again for, for joining us for that 
close that wrap up. And um, just in general, since we didn't have a single guest uh, host this week, we had pretty much all of you guys. We want to thank you for for joining us for the watch along earlier today. I know some of you got up really early or maybe in some parts of the world stayed up really late. So we appreciate that. We yeah. enjoyed the comments during the show today, um, especially through sticking through our technical difficulties. Uh, we, But we thankfully got it worked out so that you guys could join us and i'm really glad that that worked out and your comments questions thoughts everything we really appreciate it this show could not happen without you guys so we're glad that it worked out and this will happen again and it will be fixed for chamber of secrets we promise we promise (laughs) with various other tidbits possibly with images and videos right um and thank you to everyone who left us a voicemail. We will go through them all and we will hopefully use them at some point in the future. Um, it's a little bit more difficult for us to play them out right now, um, but we will definitely work out how to use those in our podcast in a couple of weeks' time. Yes, exactly. And if any of you want to be on the show and on a future you know, pre-recorded episode, um, as you know, there's a couple ways you can go about doing that. You can submit content on the Alohomora website, which is alohomora.mugglenet.com. And you can also send us a recording of yourself analyzing a part of the books. You have to have appropriate audio equipment, so make sure you have a microphone, headphones, and you're able to record yourself. And go ahead and send that to alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. You can also contact us on Twitter at our handle at alohomoramn. And just one last reminder, make sure you follow us on Twitter. This is really only going to be good for you guys that are listening live right now because our next show will be released during LeakyCon, which we will all be heading to this week, which we're all really excited about. Hopefully some of you guys will see us there. Um, We're doing something special at LeakyCon, and if you're not following us on Twitter, you will not be in the know. So please make sure you follow us for updates. You can also follow us at Facebook, facebook.com slash open the Dumbledore. You can listen to us right on the page. Just click on the podcast tab, choose an episode, and enjoy. And contact us on Tumblr. We're always sharing stuff that you give that you give us while you're reading the books, lots of different contact. That account is mnalohomora.tumblr.com. And our phone number, don't forget to leave us voicemails, 206 Go Albus. That's 206-462-5287. And, of course, our main website, alohumora.mugglenet.com. That's where you can access the forums, all the content, the essays, the fan art. Everything Alohomora is that at that account right there. And for any kind of other messages, emails to us, just go to send an email to alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed and get this very podcast when it is released sometime next week, and it will go straight out to you if you have subscribed to us on our iTunes feed. So, thank you very much for joining us. I am Rosie. I'm Noah Freed. Thanks so much. I'm Caleb Graves. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to Episode 9 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. If you can hear me, say very soon.
We're getting somewhere. <laughs> Sounds like we're all in a cave. I hear Caleb too, so someone? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Open the Dumb-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum